Did you know you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. NVIDIA's market value touches $2 trillion and how three hedge funds are dominating the game. The bifurcation between these three and the rest of the pack is really growing deeper, and we saw that especially last year. Plus, Nikki Haley fights on against the odds for South Carolina. It's Friday, February 23rd. I'm Amory Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. This is the PM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories that moved the world today. NVIDIA's market capitalization topped $2 trillion in trading this morning before falling below the mark again. Still, the company is one of the most valuable in the U.S., trailing only Microsoft and Apple. It took NVIDIA 24 years as a public company for its valuation to reach the rarefied air of $1 trillion. Thanks to the chipmaker's role in powering the AI revolution, a second trillion took just eight months. Insatiable demand for chips has outpaced production and spurred competitors to develop rivals. And as we continue to track the artificial intelligence boom, generative AI and streaming are already transforming the future of the movie and TV industry. We want to know, what questions do you have about how entertainment giants like Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery are deciding what to make? And how are you deciding what content's worth paying for? Has streaming changed your viewing habits? Send us a note, or even better, record a voice memo on your phone and send it to wnpod at wsj.com. That's wnpod at wsj.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 212-416-4328. Just be sure to include your name and location. We might use it on the show. Billions of dollars have poured into hedge funds in the past few years, but three are dominating, Citadel, Millennium, and Point72. That's thanks to one of the industry's hottest strategies, multi-manager firms. Competitors are struggling to keep up. There's a lot of money at stake, so let's get into the details with Wall Street Journal markets reporter Caitlin McCabe. Caitlin, let's start with the basics. These multi-manager hedge funds sort of invert what we typically think of as a hedge fund, one dominant manager. What exactly are they doing and how are they doing it? Yeah, you're exactly right. When people ordinarily think of hedge funds, they think of these heavy hitters of the 1990s and the early 2000s when these star traders would raise a lot of money from investors and take these hyper-concentrated bets. And of course, if things went their way, they would make a lot of money. John Paulson is a famous example of that. He made a lot of money in the late 2000s by making really big bets that the housing market would collapse. These multi-manager funds are different. They are still really large in size, but the way that they operate and manage risk is totally different. Their goal is to be what's called market neutral, so that they'll make money no matter if markets are rising or falling. And they're also really focused on managing risk. In some extreme cases, some of these firms track performance minute by minute and can cut you from the firm pretty quickly if you're losing money. What's setting these three, Citadel, Millennium, and Point72, apart from the rest? The others can't really seem to keep up here. Exactly. Well, first, these three firms are some of the oldest who are doing this strategy. And that money has really allowed them to spend a lot on 
the best technology, the best traders, the best risk management systems. And it's also allowed them to set up shops that trade several strategies at once. And there's data behind this that supports that a recent Barclays survey found that firms that ran four or more strategies posted nearly double the returns of those that were just concentrated in just one singular type of trading strategy. Just how much are these three dominating? Yeah, the bifurcation between these three and the rest of the pack is really growing deeper. And we saw that especially last year. So Citadel, Millennium, and Point72, they each returned about 10% or more. And several of these copycat firms, in contrast, returned less than what's known as the risk-free rate in markets, or you know, essentially the amount you could earn from just storing cash at the bank. Caitlin, what does all this mean for investors? Because demand for this strategy was so strong for so many years, all of these managers could really command anything from investors in terms of the types of fees that they charged and the amount of time that they asked investors to lock up their money for. And a lot of these firms really exceed the industry norms in terms of what investors have to pay. And what I hear from people in the industry is that now there is this distinction where the top three people say, as long as they keep performing, they'll be able to keep charging these kinds of fees and asking for investors to lock up their money for longer. But those that have not performed in a way that investors are expecting, some people in the industry expect that those firms might start seeing more pushback from investors who say, why am I paying all of this money and you're returning less than the risk-free rate right now? That's Wall Street Journal markets reporter Caitlin McCabe. Coming up, Nikki Haley's expected to place a distant second in her home state of South Carolina, which holds its presidential primary tomorrow. Why she's still staying in the race after the break. Hey, what's news, fans? Listen up. Did you know you can listen to episodes of this very show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? That's right. All your favorite What's News episodes can be heard on Amazon Music ad-free. But that's not all. You get access to other fan-favorite shows like The Daily, Up First, and Fox News Rundown ad-free as well. Amazon Music has all you need to stay up to date on all things newsworthy by offering the most ad-free top podcasts, so we know they definitely have something for you. And it's already included in your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or visit amazon.com slash what's news. That's amazon.com slash what's news. It's just that easy. Tomorrow is South Carolina's presidential primary, and Nikki Haley is fighting hard for her home state, even though she's expected to place a distant second. When Haley first announced her presidential bid more than a year ago, South Carolina's early slot on the GOP nomination calendar seemed like a boon for her. But observers now say it could end up being the biggest embarrassment of her political career. Here now with more is Wall Street Journal national political reporter Eliza Collins. Liza, I'm sure a question you've heard a lot this week. Why is Haley still running, especially if she is not expected to win? What, what's her objective? Haley basically says she's offering an alternative to Trump. While he does certainly have the support of the majority of the party, there are a lot of Republicans who want to move on. And Haley is trying to offer an alternative to them. 
Trump has a lot of criminal charges, and some of her supporters say they'd like her to stay in and feel like she should be the benefactor if he is found guilty of any of those. South Carolina obviously is Haley's home state. How did Trump come to be so dominant here? It's a really interesting dynamic in South Carolina because Haley is actually popular. She was a popular governor. And if you ask people, they'll say, oh, yeah, I like Nikki Haley. They just love Donald Trump. And that is really the Republican Party in general right now. Trump has consolidated a lot of it. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott ran for president on his own and dropped out before voting started. He was appointed to the Senate by Haley. He chose to endorse Trump and is being considered for a running mate. I sat down with Scott earlier this week and asked, if you think Trump is so great right now, why'd you run against him? And Scott said, well, he had hoped for this faith in America optimistic vision for the country that voters would be ready for it. And he said they are, but not quite yet. First, they want a bull in a China shop. What does South Carolina mean for Trump? He could have this nomination secured by the middle of next month. So each state that Trump wins, he gets more delegates. Right now, they are still being allocated proportionally. So Haley would win some delegates. But going into next month, there start being states which will allocate delegates based on if you get a majority of votes. So California, very delegate rich. If Trump is able to get over 50% there, he'll win them all. And then later in the month, states will just do winner take all. He could win um, the nomination or at least enough delegates for the nomination by mid to late March. And then he would ultimately be awarded the nomination over the summer at the convention. That's Wall Street Journal national political reporter Eliza Collins. Thanks as always, Eliza. Thanks for having me. After South Carolina's primary tomorrow, Michigan is next on Tuesday. On the next episode of our election series, Chasing the Base, WSJ political reporter Jimmy Vielkind explores how Trump won over Michigan's white working class. The latest episode is out tomorrow, right here in the What's News feed. In other news, we report exclusively that safety staff at Meta warned last year that new paid subscription tools on Facebook and Instagram were being misused by adults to profit from exploiting their own children. Two teams inside the company raised alarms after finding hundreds of so-called parent-managed minor accounts were using the subscription feature to sell content not available to non-paying followers. According to sources, while the content did not involve nudity or other illegal content, it often featured young girls in bikinis and leotards and was sold to an audience that was often overt about sexual interest in children. Our colleagues on The Wall Street Journal's Tech News Briefing podcast asked reporter Catherine Blunt how Meta dealt with the warnings raised by employees. There are a few recommendations. One could have been that the company not allow for child modeling accounts like a couple of rival platforms. You know, TikTok has significantly restricted that. Or another suggestion would be that the parent-run minor accounts, as they're called, register themselves so that Meta could try to keep tabs on their activity in the interest of child safety. And ultimately, the company did not move forward with these recommendations and instead continued to roll out these subscription tools more broadly without having what the safety staff considered to be appropriate guardrails in place. Meta expanded its subscriptions program, and sources said the company built an automated system to prevent suspected pedophiles from being given the option to subscribe to the parent-run accounts. The technology didn't always work, and the subscription ban could be evaded. Meta said such programs are well-monitored and defended its decision to proceed with expanding subscriptions before the planned safety features were ready. 
And finally, some news on one of the glitziest celebs in entertainment. Kim Kardashian Hollywood, a decade-old mobile game from the reality TV star, is shutting down for good in April, without any explanation given. Players start the game as new arrivals looking to make it in Hollywood. A cartoon version of Kardashian, down to her real voice, is there to help. The game's free to play, but users can spend real money on virtual currency for their avatars. Wall Street Journal tech reporter Sarah Needleman says fans are distraught about the game's looming end. Fans are pretty heartbroken. These diehard players who've been going at it now for 10 years, they may have built up a character and virtual assets like fancy cars and clothing. Some players are showing how upset they are by dressing their characters all in black and changing the hair color of their character to show that they're in mourning. They're spending whatever virtual cash they have left over because it won't be usable once the game ends. And Ms. Kardashian has said that she has other things that she's working on. And she really did spend a lot of time on this game. She was very involved. You know, all good things come to an end and here we are. In the meantime, more than 6,000 fans have signed an online petition in the hopes of keeping the game alive. A spokeswoman for Electronic Arts, which owns the company that launched the game, declined to comment. Can't say I've ever played it myself, and I guess now I probably won't start. And that's What's News for this week. Today's show was produced by Anthony Bancy and Pierre Bienname. What's News is hosted by me, Anne-Marie Fertoli, and Luke Vargas. Additional support this week from Tali Arbel, Julie Chang, Alex Osala, and J.R. Whalen. Michael Laval wrote our theme music. Our supervising producers are Sandra Kilhoff and Michael Kosmides. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Sinsley are our deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is The Wall Street Journal's head of news audio. Tomorrow, as we mentioned earlier, you can listen to Wall Street Journal reporter Jimmy Bielkind, who recently traveled to Michigan to profile that state's electorate for our special podcast series, Chasing the Base. And a bit later than our usual time, at noon Eastern time, you can look out for our weekly markets wrap-up, What's News in Markets. We'll be back with our regular show on Monday morning. Thanks for listening. Did you know you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music included with your Prime membership? To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.